Good morning. That's actually my voice. Just kidding. Still working on the timing of when to come up with a new one. Um, welcome. My name's Nate Wagner. I'm one of the pastors here at Portico Church Arlington. We are so glad you're here. And we are starting a new series, but it's building on the series that we just finished. And here's how it's building on it. We just finished a four-part topical series called Renew, looking at some of the practices of renewal in the Christian life. How do we pursue renewal with the Lord? And renewal is something historically that has been identified in church history as happening when God's people are confronted with God's holiness. And it produces an overwhelming sense of inadequacy, insufficiency, of guilt. Because as you approach God's holiness, as his holiness is exposed, your sin is exposed. The reality that even our best works are tainted by sin is exposed. Well, that doesn't sound like renewal. But here's why it is renewal. It's because that prepares your heart to receive Jesus. If you don't have that experience, Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his teaching will make no sense to you. And you'll misunderstand it. You'll dismiss it as something that's like, oh, that's kind of nice. That's like a nice little add-on to have in my life. Your faith will be lukewarm, and ultimately it'll fade. And so for us as a church, I thought it would be a good idea to spend some time in the law of God, because as we'll see today, the law gets us ready for Jesus. And that is true whether you are not yet a Christian or if you've been a Christian for a long time. The law gets you ready for Jesus. And we're going to look at how that happens today, specifically by looking at a period in the history of Israel when they had received the law and wandered around in the wilderness for about 40 years as they were preparing to enter into the land that God had promised them. And right before they enter, Moses kind of does this ceremony of renewal. He reminds the Israelites of what they received when they received the law and how they received it and how they're supposed to respond to it. And that is really important for us because we are God's people. And so the law is going to have a similar effect on us. It's going to get us ready for our inheritance. It's going to pave the way for us to receive God's promised blessing. And so we're going to start in Deuteronomy this morning. This is, we're not even going to get into the Ten Commandments this week or next week. We're going to spend two weeks just kind of like introducing it because it's so important to understand the context. Otherwise, you'll just understand it as like ten rules that you have to follow to get to God, which is the worst way you can possibly understand the Ten Commandments because that's not what they are. They're given in a specific context, and they're given for a specific purpose. It's never to earn your relationship with God. It's always about how God wants to show you blessing in that relationship. 
and how he wants to build his kingdom as a kingdom of love in a world full of hate and darkness. And so you can turn with me. We're going to be in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy. We will be jumping a little bit back into chapter 4, but I'll just read it um, as we go through it. But we're going to really be focusing on these first six verses of chapter 5 this morning. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did he make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of fire, while I stood between you, the, between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Please pray with me. Father, you, um, you are so good. You are good beyond our wildest imagination. And yet, Lord, we um, often have hardness to your goodness. We resist it. We want to define good on our own terms. We want to love according to our own light, not according to your wisdom not according to your design, not according to your plan. And so, God, I ask that we would be softened. I ask that today, this morning, we would be softened as we see the beauty, the majesty of who you are. And Lord, that's my hope, that you would prepare us for Jesus. Whether that be to believe in him for the first time or to believe on him again and again and again. Lord, I ask that you would help us, that you would show us our insufficiency, that you would show us your beauty, and you would show us the sufficiency of our Savior and our Lord. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the law gets us ready for Jesus. That's the big idea. And we're going to show you four different ways that the law gets us ready for Jesus by seeing what the law actually does. And so they're going to be up there on the screen so you can follow along. It's kind of a lot, to be honest. And so that's why I have it on there. If you get lost, you can just look at the screen. That's where we're at. But it's really rich, and it's really important for a right understanding of what the law is, because I think we're incredibly confused about this. I know for a lot of us, when you hear the law, you immediately think like works-based righteousness. You think, oh, this is what I have to do to be righteous before God. And that is how a lot of people will teach the law and even the whole Old Testament. And what ends up happening then is you have a God of the Old Testament who acted one way with his people and a God of the New Testament who acted a different way. But that is not what the Bible teaches. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
And he has always been working out his plan in a very coherent and specific way through history, through his people. And the purpose of Israel was always to produce Jesus. And Jesus was always going to fulfill the law. And he was always going to sanctify his people to get us ready to be the citizens of his kingdom. And so that is what the law actually is doing. It's showing us how to live in God's grace. It's not showing us how to earn it. So that up front, we're going to see God being revealed. We're going to see God is our God. We're going to see that God is our Redeemer. And then finally, we're going to see that God is to be feared. And all of those things are functions of the law. It's what the law is going to do. And all of those things prepare us for Jesus. So let's start with God being revealed. You have to imagine yourself back in the place of an Israelite in Egypt. God had revealed himself to Abraham in a covenant, promising to Abraham hey, I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to give you descendants, and I'm going to bless the world through you. And Abraham's like, okay, what what am I supposed to do? And God put him to sleep. (laughs) He's like, you're not going to do much, Abraham, just go and trust me, follow me. And Abraham did, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was living by faith in the context of that covenant. Well, the story goes on, And pretty soon, you get to Joseph. Joseph goes into Egypt. He's sold into slavery by his own brothers. And then ends up saving his descendants, saving his brothers, saving his family, because he has the ear of Pharaoh. And so soon, all the Israelites end up in Egypt. But during this time, it's not as if God is right there specifically with them all the time. But they have heard about how God worked through Abraham. And they know enough to cry out when they start to be oppressed and enslaved by Egypt. When Pharaoh starts to persecute them. When their babies are starting to get slaughtered because Pharaoh's afraid of them. They know enough to cry out to the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. And God hears their cry. And he answers them through Moses. And through Moses, he delivers them from Egypt. And then he brings them to this mountain. And the Israelites had just seen God destroy Pharaoh and his armies in the sea. They had seen how powerful he was but they didn't know that much about him. They didn't know the law. They didn't know the holiness of God in detail. And so as God gives Moses the law at Mount Sinai, he's revealing himself. He's revealing who he is. The law reflects his character, and his character is holy. Holy is another word for profound purity and beauty. 
And think of it like this, because this was actually something that happened in ancient Near Eastern um, societies and civilizations, is that the law of a land reflected the power and the essence of the king of that land. And they had a very different ethical framework than um, our modern society has. Our modern society is a little bit hesitant of kind of more dictatorial power, of authoritarianism, of strength that's completely unmitigated and unmoored from compassion. But the ancient world wasn't like that. The more brutal the law, the more strict the law, the more powerful the king. And so you can imagine if you're an ancient Israelite just living in the land of Egypt and the brutality of that law being forced upon you, and now you're receiving another law, a new law, a law of a different kingdom. What's it going to be? It could be anything, right? God had just purchased them. He had just rescued them. They had no claim to anything. They were completely at his mercy. What's it going to be? And God gives them these ten words. And it shows you the framework for beautiful power and authority that's used for love, that's used for redemptive purposes. And we're going to unpack that as we walk through the specifics of the Ten Commandments, but you can just see it even in how Jesus summarizes them. The first four show us how to love God. They show us how to respond to God's love, specifically in relationship with him. And it's beautiful. It's, there's freedom in it. It's not slavery. It's a law of liberty. It's a law of love. And then the last six of the commandments show us how to love each other. Show us how to love other people. And basic things that we take for granted because our culture is just kind of steeped in them, or at least parts of them, were completely foreign in this land. Concepts like don't murder, restrain your power, don't take something that's not yours, even if you can, even if there's no other consequence. Don't covet. Check your heart. Because that shows your hatred for your neighbor. All of these things, they reveal and show us how God is love. So if you have kind of like a disconnect with the law, if you have some baggage with the law, this is a really important thing to grasp. That the law shows us in specifics how God is love. And it protects us from reading into that statement that God is love, our own understanding of love. And then worshiping our own God instead of the one true God. So the law reveals who God is. God is revealed. And when God is revealed, he is revealed as our God. Before we get there, I want to read this part. I almost forgot it. 
chapter 4, verse 32 and 33, you see the amazing immensity of God revealing himself. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of fire, as you have heard, and still live? The act of God revealing himself is a miracle, and it's a wonder, something to be cherished. Now let's go to God is revealed as our God. If you look at verse 2 and then at verse 6, this address is repeated. The Lord our God, Moses speaking about God, and then Moses quoting God. I am the Lord your God. Personal pronouns. God belongs to us. We belong to God. For Israel, this identified them as God's people in a different way. Because in some ways, all the people are God's people, right? He is the creator of everything that exists. He is God Almighty. He is the only one and true God. So he is God of all people. But what this language is showing us is that in the context of how God has specifically chosen and worked through Israel, he becomes their God. He belongs to them. He's for them, and they belong to him. This is the language of a covenant. And notice that the law is given in covenant, not before covenant. That's how we know that this isn't how to earn your relationship with God, but it's how to walk in that relationship. Because God has already redeemed them. He's already rescued them. He's already promised to Abraham that he would give him a land, descendants, and blessing. And he's continuing to work that out. He is showing them how to live in his kingdom, in the land that he has promised. And this is really what Moses is doing with the people. He's kind of like on the border of the promised land and saying, look, you're about to go in here. Here is how to live in this land, how to live in the promise that God has given you. Because God is your God. He's your king. And that's what we learn as the series of covenants continues to unfold throughout Scripture. Because they go into the land, and then very quickly, they realize, we don't have a king. We need a king. God, give us a king. And then a series of human kings comes and fail. And the kingdom's lost, ultimately. But there's a promise to David. A promise of a descendant of David that would sit on the throne forever. Because God is working out his promises to his people. And it's not dependent on their work. This is a, what theologians have described as the covenant of grace. It's how God is establishing his kingdom on the earth. It's not dependent on us. It's a blessing that is given freely. It's unmerited. 
Even though we rebelled, even though we wanted to do it our own way, God gives it to us. And he also shows us in, Moses also shows us here, that this gift is not given through an inheritance. It's not given through a flesh and blood system, but it's given to you personally. God is your God. He is your God. Look at what he says. He says that this covenant was not made with our fathers, but with us. Now, for a people who identified God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this would have been very novel. Wait, he did make a covenant with us. But what Moses is drawing attention to, he's saying, no, God has spoken to you. He's requiring something of you. His holiness requires response. He has spoken to you. So this is a personal reality. It was never something that was actually inherited by flesh and blood. You had to trust it. Abraham had to trust. Moses had to trust. Joshua had to trust. All true Israel had to trust God personally because he's your God. It's not as if you can just say, oh, well, my parents knew that God, so I'm good. It's not as if you can just say, well, yeah, but I go to church and they know God, so I'm good. No, he has to be your God. He's personal. And covenant calls you into that relationship personally by faith, by trusting in him, by looking to him. The third way is that God is our redeemer. So when we see the context of the law, it's in this context of redemption. It's in the context of God pulling Israel out of Egypt and getting them ready to enter his kingdom. This rescue for Egypt, again, it happened before God gave the law. And that's how we know this is, this is grace. This is God doing something and calling his people to respond. It's after he rescued them, not before. So it's not according to works. It's not according to what you do. It's not in your earning that you can claim your relationship. It's in God's calling. It's in his grace. And Israel was called out of Egypt, and God, as you can see in um, verses 36 and following of chapter 4, and really, let's go back to 34 even, has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war? by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. So the story of Israel's redemption, 
their rescue out of Egypt was to communicate who God is. He is the Redeemer. He is powerful for them. He was compassionate towards their cries for mercy and responded and rescued them. And he pulled them out of the land and gave them the law. Well, we are in Deuteronomy, not in Exodus this morning. And so it kind of points this tension out. It's been 40 years since Israel was given the land or the law and promised the land. And Moses, in the context of this speech, tells Israel, yeah, I'm not going with you guys because the Lord is holding me accountable for you. Because even though God had pulled Israel out of Egypt, Egypt was still in Israel. They were still worshiping false gods. They were still practicing idolatry. They wanted to go back to Egypt to exchange the power of the invisible God for created things, for something that they could control, something that they didn't have to depend on. And so you see that even as God is and truly was Israel's redeemer, it was only a foreshadowing. It was imperfect. The work was not finished. Because internally, they were still in Egypt. And so Israel's redemption from Egypt foreshadowed the work that Jesus would do in redeeming his people from death and from sin. And the Bible speaks of this act of redemption, of pulling Israel out of Egypt in this way. It's a foreshadowing of what Jesus finally and fully accomplishes on the cross and in his resurrection. But we experience the already and not yet of this even like Israel did. Because even though our salvation, our redemption from sin and death was accomplished by Jesus on the cross, we're still, okay, yeah, we look back to that and trust that, but we are still plagued by sin. We're still oppressed by evil. And so we have the same temptation today, and this is where the law gets us ready for Jesus. We have that same temptation that Israel had to want to go back to slavery, to listen to the false promises of false gods, to turn away from God, to forsake him, to pursue other gods. And so there's an already and a not yet, and the law shows us both. Because you can look at the law as we go through the law, as we go through the Ten Commandments, you're going to be reminded of things that God has done in you, how he has helped stir you to worship him, how you are not coveting like you used to covet, how you have had victory over anger and lust. And so there's an already that's revealed of how Jesus is our redeemer, but there's also a not yet that's revealed. Because whenever you come to the law, you're reminded that you haven't yet arrived, that God is still perfecting you, that there's more work to be done. And so the law helps us understand the not yet and the already of where we are in the history of God's redeeming his people. 
And he's not going to allow us to stay in one or the other, but he's going to hold that tension until Jesus comes back. And then finally, in verse 40 of chapter 4, we're going to see how God is to be feared. And this is also reflected in verse 5 of chapter 5. Verse 40 of chapter 4 first. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Implicit in that promise, keep the commands, it will go well for you. There's a threat, isn't there? If you don't keep them, it's not going to go well for you. Now, this was not God saying, I'm going to forsake my covenant with you. But what he's doing is he's saying, if you don't fear me, if you don't honor the covenant that I have given you, you will be disciplined. And you won't like it. It's going to hurt. And even though you thought that Egypt was a furnace of iron, I am going to show you the furnace of Zion. I'm going to show you how I cleanse my people. And that is the history of Israel in exile. They didn't keep the commandments. And God brought them out of the land. And it didn't go well for them. And instead of Jesus inheriting a clean and a a clean and um, orderly kingdom. He's born in obscurity with a people scattered who hate him and reject him. But God is still faithful in it. God is to be feared, but that fear is in the context of his promise still. But for Israel, when they are receiving the law, They're receiving it through Moses, and I love verse 4 and 5. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. And so Moses is showing them, you were terrified. Because you had that reality that the Lord is all-consuming and he consumes anything that is not perfect. Because his character is so pure, he will not tolerate evil and wickedness in his presence. And so they're like, Moses, you can talk to him, we're going to hang back. So there is distance. And this is where it's important to see a difference between the law which is one way that God speaks to us in his word, and the gospel, which is another way that God speaks to us in his word, and they're complementary. The law, it came through Moses. And so you see Moses standing between the people in Israel. So there's a mediation that's happening. It's still gracious. God is still welcoming them into that covenant But there's separation still. There's still fear, anticipation of judgment. Because Moses was not going to enter the land. He was standing between the people and the fire. 
Well, Jesus is the one who mediates the gospel. He's the one who brings the good news. He is the good news, his life, death, and resurrection. And it's because where Jesus didn't just stand between the people and the fire, what did Jesus do? He took our sin into the fire. And this is gospel, friends. That the Israelites looked at Moses and saw fire, we look at Jesus and see Father. Jesus tells us as much. He says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But the law got them ready for that. The law got them ready to receive it, and it gets us ready to receive Jesus in that way. If you don't understand that, you will never come to Jesus completely broken, completely dependent, completely trusting, because you're still trusting in yourself. You're not fearing God. But there's a difference between the fear of God of Israel before the atonement, before Jesus' death and resurrection was accomplished, and our fear of God. Because in Christ... We fear God, not because of the fierceness of the fire, but because of the fierceness of God's love for us in Jesus. We fear him the way that you fear the most beloved person in your life. You're not anticipating judgment, but there's a power that the relationship has. There's a dependence that you have placed to that person, You've entrusted yourself to them. And so you fear them in that way. And that is what we should do, how we should respond to Jesus. We should fear him because of the love that he has demonstrated to us. And so as we push into this series, we are going to be interpreting and working to understand the Ten Commandments as Christians because the Ten Commandments are a Christian text. They were always meant to be used in light of Jesus' work. It's just that it hadn't happened yet, but it anticipated it. And now that Jesus has come, he's died, he's resurrected, and he will come again, we can understand in a fuller way how they function for us. And so as we walk through each of these, there's going to be tension that you feel. You're probably going to be taken to places that you don't want to go. The law is going to show you things about yourself that you don't want to see, that you'd rather just kind of cover up, that you'd rather not acknowledge, that you'd rather not bear before God. But if you do that, if you hide yourself, from the law. You can't receive the gospel. If you don't understand your need for a savior and the goodness of your Lord, you will never trust him. And so my encouragement to you, my hope for you and for myself, is that we don't take this for granted. That we actually do the work of allowing the spirit to lay bare our souls, to show us where we are in breaking these commandments, to show us how we are not careful to keep them. 
but also to show us the beauty of the Savior who has fulfilled the law and who is leading us to be a kingdom of love on this earth, even now. So that's my hope. Please join me for the next uh, 12 weeks, I think, or so. We're going to be in this. I'm excited for what God's going to do, and I hope that it helps us trust Jesus in new ways and get to know the depth of his love for us and for the love that he has for this world. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Um, We thank you for how you have revealed yourself to us in ways that we can understand. That you appeared to us in fire because we understand it. That you have given us the simplicity of these ten words that we'll be studying and learning and trying to keep for the rest of our life. Lord, there are immense riches that are contained in your word to us. And so, God, I ask that you would use your word, that you would help us to receive it, to receive you, to receive the work that you have done on our behalf. And that we might, um, yeah, that we might reflect and steward all of that for your glory to show this world the true God of love. God, that's a big ask. So we need your help. We ask that you would be working in us and through us as we wrestle with your word, as you meet us in it. And God, we love you because you have loved us in your perfect son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.